Welcome to the Alkaline Unplugged podcast. I'm Erin Parazuski, a functional fitness expert and holistic health coach. I am the founder and CEO of Alkaline, a health and wellness company that operates boutique fitness franchises across the U.S. I live in Menlo Park, California with my husband and two young daughters. I am joined by my podcast partner, Kathy Purnell, a master instructor at Alkaline and a former special education teacher. She has three grown daughters and lives in Los Altos with her husband, Jeff. Together, we bring you Alkaline Unplugged, a collection of conversations on a whole host of topics, from experts in the health and wellness field to the real, raw, and human stories of people like you and me. We look forward to bringing you content that will nourish your mind, body, and soul. We thank you for tuning in and look forward to your comments and feedback. If you like what you hear, we'd appreciate a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. As a disclaimer, neither Kathy nor I are licensed medical professionals. The materials and content in this podcast are intended to be general information and are not to be considered a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Welcome to Alkaline Unplugged. We're here today with Jennifer Brandt, an American entrepreneur living in Switzerland. Super fascinating young woman who's going to tell us a little bit about herself. So welcome, Jennifer. Thanks so much. Um, so tell us first where you're from and where you are where you are currently living. Okay, so I'm from Los Altos, California. Grew up there. And I am currently living near Geneva, Switzerland, outside in the countryside just next to there. That's awesome. And you, how long did you live in Los Altos before you moved to Switzerland? Oh my gosh. I left, lived in Los Altos until I was 17 and went to college. And then I went to UCLA and then I moved to Europe. And I've been back and forth between the US and Europe ever since. And what are you doing in Europe currently? So I have my own consulting business. I work on trade policy and intellectual policy for different kinds of clients. Oh, fascinating. That's awesome. And what brought you to Switzerland? Work. So I got transferred here. I was working for a big global NGO that works on anti-poverty programs and issues uh, called Oxfam. And they moved me to Geneva in 2004. And I met my husband and changed jobs and had kids and ended up staying until now. That's awesome. How did you discover Alkaline? I know you've been in our Los Altos studio. How did you find us? Yeah, so I came home to help my mom sell the house, help her clean out the attics and get everything ready for selling. And I was out for a run and I kind of passed by the studio. It looked really attractive. I came in, I got some information about the classes and I did four classes while I was home and I loved it. That's awesome. What did you love most about it? I loved it because it's so healthy for your pelvic floor. And I felt like it was a really challenging workout, really interesting. It kept me engaged. I didn't get bored. And the camaraderie and the spirit of the people in the class was super fun. I had a really good time. It's a great community. Um, speaking of pelvic floor, you've had a pretty serious health, um, I would say health crisis almost. I'd love yeah, to hear. I would say it's a crisis. Yeah. Wouldn't you say, Jennifer? I'd say it's a crisis. Yeah, definitely. Do you guys want to hear about it? Yes. <laughs> So let's see. After my second child, I love exercising. I've always really loved exercising. Um, suddenly after she was born, I noticed about a year in that mm, wasn't so comfortable to run long distances anymore, to do really long workouts in the gym, stuff that I loved and that I did every single day. 
Um, after about a couple of hours, I could feel like ugh, I was maybe leaking a little bit of pee. It was kind of gross. And so I thought the smartest thing to do would be to go immediately to the gynecologist and tell him what was going on and get his advice as to how to deal with us. Well, he did have some ideas. Yeah, it seemed, it seemed like the right way to go. It seemed important because it wasn't normal for me. I should deal with it immediately, you know, get a solution. And he definitely had ideas. Um, he was pretty clear that he thought what could help me would be a small medical device that we would insert under the urethra to kind of hold it up in place and make sure that didn't happen anymore. And he decided to work with me to book a surgery at a time that was convenient for me, you know, et cetera. So we did it around Christmas. We inserted this little device. And from then things really became crazy and went downhill for my health. Tell us more about that. Yeah, it was really difficult. So I woke up from the operation, stayed a couple of days in the hospital. I was told, look, it's a super easy recovery. It's a tiny little device. It goes in there. You know, In two weeks, you'll be back to your normal life. It's no problem. But instead, in, after two weeks, I was increasingly having massive pain problems. I was having problems with mobility. I had trouble walking. I had shooting nerve pains down my legs. Um, everything ached. It was just completely bizarre. And I'm really in tune with my body because I love to work out and I really know my body and I knew something was really wrong. But the problem was that every time I'd go back to him and say, hey, you know, this doesn't feel right. Something's weird. They were like, no, you know, you're the only time I've seen this complication. You know, what are you talking about? You need to give it time. You're impatient. Well, it turned out that I'm one of very many women who don't have a good reaction to this, this implant, which is called pelvic mesh. It's called surgical mesh. And a lot of women get this implanted for urinary incontinence, um, even minimal urinary incontinence like I had, and their bodies just go berserk. Their immune system, pain, the muscles don't feel good. They have mobility problems. And I was really lucky because, because I know my body and I trust myself I really fought and did not accept what he was telling me. And I really looked for somebody who could help get this out of my body. So first of all, your intuition, and then also taking that intuition, knowing that something's not right, and then being your own advocate probably really helped a lot. Yeah, exactly. And it was really difficult because people around me too were saying, oh, come on, Jennifer, you know, this is the doctor. He knows. He sees hundreds of patients with this, you know, same issues probably, and he's guiding you. Follow what he says. But I knew something was wrong. And it sounds like the pain wasn't localized. It was systemic, like you, you know, impacting your mobility, your, you know, ability to walk or what have you. That's a pretty serious thing. Yeah, it was kind of every, it was everything. It was local and systemic. It was nuts. My body went berserk. At a certain point, I started getting um, a peripheral neuropathy in my arms and my hands. I couldn't feel my hands. I mean, it wow. was like, what's coming next? I had a bubbly sensation around my knees. Like the weirdest things were happening and I couldn't make sense of it and everything hurt. It just, I was ugh, a mess. Were they treating, you know, when you would report that I'm experiencing, you know, lack of mobility or pain in my knees, would they, you know, prescribe something or what was their response other than it's just part naturally the part of the recovery? Yeah. So they ended up prescribing opiates. So I used, I ended up having um, tramadol. So I had a lot of tramadol. What's tramadol? Oh, tramadol is a, um, it's an anti-pain medication. It's very strong anti-pain medication. And they just kept ramping up the tramadol. 
um, as I had complaints and telling me to go home, have a positive attitude and get better and stop complaining, basically. So the, the fact of being your own advocate is it's such a challenge in that kind of situation where you're in pain, you don't know what to do. People are not believing you. The doctor doesn't believe you. But I think it's really important to listen to yourself and know your own body and persevere. How long ago was the surgery? So the surgery was in January 2018. And by March, I was in the operating room again to get the mesh removed. Wow. Okay. And how did that go? It was a long time ago, but it's interesting because the effects of this, um, they can be difficult to get over. Even after the a removal surgery of this device is not easy because it's like a little net. It goes into your body and your tissues grow into it. And it's not a tiny device like I was told. It's 12 centimeters long, the thing they put in me. So it was quite a big endeavor to go in and effectively remove my tissues that had grown into this net that went from one side of my groin all the way across to the other. Um, It was pretty long. It was embedded in a lot of muscles. It was a really difficult surgery. And then, but then it was good because I knew, okay, this is out. Now I can really focus on my my recovery. And that's where I really went back and drew on my background doing a lot of sports. I found out about physical therapy for the pelvic floor, which is really critical for women to know about. And I definitely started doing exercise programs similar to alkaline that my trainer in Geneva developed for me. To strengthen the pelvic floor. Because once they remove the mesh, you know, what was supposed to be the cure is no longer there. So so now what, right? If you're, you know, sounds like physical therapy was the next step. And hopefully, how, how has that been going for you? Yeah, so that's a really interesting point to raise. Physical therapy actually should have been the first step. And this is really important for your listeners to know about. If you do have issues, you know, after childbirth with a little bit of leakage or even a lot, whatever, most of the time, a good physical therapist can help you overcome that. You don't need to have surgery. That should be really the first port of call. So you do exercises with a specialized physical therapy on your own. You go to the office maybe once a week for six weeks in a row. And generally, you're fine. You can be cleared to go back to exercising, doing all the things you love. In some cases, okay, maybe that's not enough, so you need to consider other options. But for me, definitely, I should have started with that, and I've discovered that it is really effective. I'm fine. I can do sports. I do CrossFit. I do paddling, ballet. I mean, I do everything that's really putting a lot of pressure on the pelvic floor, and I'm fine. That's great. That's awesome. But I think you're. It's this is like a cautionary tale because I don't know what the percentage of women post-pregnancy experience, you know, a pelvic floor issue like this, but I, I would imagine it's fairly high. And, you know, having a, you know, having that opportunity to really lean into the physical therapy component versus just racing to the, you know, surgeon's table. It's so interesting. I think we've talked about this on other podcasts that, you know, sadly, I think so much of our medical community is so quick to, um, to find that quick fix and whether that's surgery or medicating versus looking at the source and trying to unravel, you know, what can we do the least restrictively, right? The least dramatically to improve this person's health. Yes. The minimally invasive way is generally the best place to start, right? And it's interesting because problems with your pelvic floor are not only, you know, they're not limited to leakage, right? When you're exercising, 
Um, and also in that realm, some people, I mean, are much worse off than I was. I would run for two hours and have leakage. Some women are laughing and, you know, leaking and that must be mortifying, right? So obviously the right. quick fix is appealing because you feel horrible, you're embarrassed. But, um, but other women suffer from problems like prolapse, where you feel your, you know, your organs are not held up where they should be. Your pelvic floor muscles are not strong enough to hold your bladder or your uterus even where they need to be. So they're kind of sagging a little bit. They're falling and it feels uncomfortable. But again, the pelvic floor physical therapy can really help to alleviate that sensation. You reinforce the muscles, the organs are held up where they're supposed to be, and you can go about your daily life and feel like your normal self. So it's pelvic floor physical therapy, I think it's something that's really important for any woman to do as she's getting older. And then especially after you've had children and that area has been under stress because of the weight of the baby and the belly and all that, the birth, all of that stuff. I think it's, it's something that's quite normal for women to do after childbirth here in Europe. Um, you get, you know, a prescription for sessions with the physical therapist after you give birth. And it's something I think is much less practiced, unfortunately, in the United right. States. Well, we practice at Outline Prevention. So if you're listening to this and you haven't had children and you're scared <laughs> that... Or even if you have too. had a baby and you want to work yeah. on pelvic floor strength, we can we can help with that as well. Yeah. I mean, there are exercises you can do yeah, preventatively, yeah. during, and restoratively. Um, did you get a prescription for the... PT after either kid? No. First or second? I didn't. And it's totally unusual. Um, since I was quite athletic, I think my doctor thought, you know, this lady doesn't need this. Because remember, the pelvic floor is that kind of bowl of muscles in your hips, in your hip area, but then also your abs. So if you look at me, I have really strong abs. You know, who would imagine I needed pelvic floor training? But I think it would have really helped me. And I think that, I mean, doing the classes at Alkaline, I was completely impressed by the fact that all of the exercises are so well um, explained. The alignment is corrected. You know, the positions are, you guys are really careful to make sure everybody's doing everything right to protect the pelvic floor, to protect their lower back, to protect everything that needs preserving, especially as we get older, but really throughout life. And I felt like that is just so valuable to learn how to exercise in a safe way for your body over the long term. You guys are doing a really great job. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Um, so. If you were to say, like, how, how close to recovered do you feel post this experience? So I feel 90% recovered, I'd say. I'm almost there. Um, when they did the removal surgery, they got almost all of it, but not quite. So there's a coda to the story. I ended up going to the United States for yet another removal surgery that surgeon got one extra piece out and there's still one piece left, right? So it's been a little bit of a, a longer journey than I originally anticipated. Um, it's going in the right direction. And each time to rebuild my muscles, to rebuild my flexibility, my health in general, I've really used the kinds of exercises that you guys do at Alkaline. Um, working with a personal trainer who's careful to correct my posture, my alignment, everything, and to make sure I'm not doing too much stuff that's putting pressure on the pelvic floor like jump rope, box jumps, those kind of things. Bye. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. Um, and I'm, I'm really strong. I'm healthy. Um, probably I'll do the last surgery, let's say some point into it, 2020. But I've really been able to, to stay in shape throughout this. And that, that feels really good. I think it's really great for my mental health too, to keep exercising in a safe way, despite, you know, all the ups and downs and surgeries and recoveries. And I'm sure it benefited you going into this being 
fit and in shape. And so body aware, I feel like so many people don't, don't listen to their bodies and don't know when something's going wrong or don't figure it out until it's too late. And I think, I mean, if there is a silver lining um, for any of this is that you felt it right away. Cause I think you mentioned to me that a lot of women have delayed um, delayed reactions. And so that is even more of a uh, messes with your mind even more like yours was right away and acute. So it was like pretty, you could tie it to the procedure you just had done versus like if that just kind of slowly infiltrated and over time you started having little symptoms here and there, it could be um, more common for someone to say, oh, you're just getting older or it's in your head or, you know, anything like that, which just messes with you more, right? Yeah, this is a huge issue. I mean, imagine the immediate temporal connection that I had. It was obvious what had caused my pain. And yet I was still told it was in my head. I was told I was a difficult patient. I needed to relax. Nobody had ever seen this before. I was the only one. And it wasn't until going online that I discovered that actually, no, a lot of people have that reaction. And the other thing I discovered online, which was kind of shocking, is how hard it is to remove a pelvic mesh implant. So these, you know, these mesh implants that are being used for incontinence as a first-line treatment, like Kathy was saying before, unfortunately, by the medical community, very few people are able to remove them. Um, There's one quite well-known doctor in St. Louis who does a great job. He removes them 100%, totally safely, doesn't cause additional damage. But he's pretty much the only person who can do that every time. So it's really, I mean, it is really a cautionary tale, but it is really important what you're saying, Erin, I think about being aware of your body and listening to your body and then trusting your instincts and really being your own advocate. That takes a lot of courage and it's really hard, but it's something that we need to do in so many situations, not just in relation to our health, right? So it's worth practicing. Yeah, worth practicing for sure. Well, it sounds to me like we need an alkaline in Europe. We definitely need an alkaline in Europe. We need an alkaline in Geneva. All right. Well, Erin and I would love nothing more than to come train and, you know, enjoy a little of the life there. (laughs) Well, you'd have to train a lot because you'd you'd be eating a lot of fondue, drinking our delicious domestic wines and eating chocolate. So after that, you need a good alkaline workout. (laughs) That's amazing. It's like a fabulous way to live. Absolutely. (laughs) Come visit. Um, And Jennifer, are you back? You mentioned you're back to running and things like that, just not your some more of like, do you notice your body more like the difference in exercise? Like how is your exercise and your, I don't want to just say exercise, just your movement in general, because you do other things than exercise, right? You paddleboard and do other activities, which are, you know, just movement practices. Um, How has this impacted So that's actually a really important question um, beyond my story individually. It's really good to know as a woman, what are the exercises that you probably shouldn't be doing, right? Like box jumps. Box jumps are not good for your pelvic floor. Slamming yourself into a box over and over, meh, let's not do that. Um, running is another story. So running, it's interesting. I got back to running very recently and I'm so thrilled, um, but I don't run only and all the time. Like what I've learned to do is to balance things out, to not do a circuit where I'm doing the same exercise over and over and over and over for 50 minutes. I'll really mix it up more. I'll run maybe 500 meters at a time mixed into a circuit to do a total of, okay, 4K or 5K, but over the course of the workout mixed with other stuff. Um, I do almost everything with body weight now instead of heavy weights. 
um, even though I do know how to hold my pelvic floor properly when lifting. So that's important. You can really do everything once you learn how to manage it, how to engage your pelvic floor before lifting a heavy weight to not put downward pressure and hurt it. But I think there's little things that you learn along the way that that can help anybody, you know, not just somebody who's been injured in this way. And of course, mixing it up with mobility, with Pilates type movements, with, you know, I do boarding on the lake here. Um, a lot of different, I think a variety is really important. It's almost like you've gone through a master's degree in your own body, right? Having this experience, having to listen to your intuition, listen to your body and then respond accordingly so that you can get back to the life that you so, so desired to live. So kudos to you. Not everybody, you know, first of all, I, I, I applaud your positive attitude towards it as well. I think a lot of people, this, this could lead to some serious depression for many people if, you know, the quality of their life took a turn, you know, so acutely as, you know, yours did for a time, you know, to come back from that couldn't have been easy. So I, I applaud your determination. That's so nice. Thank you. It was really hard. Um, when I look back, I guess, during an episode like this, you realize that we're stronger than we ever know. And you don't really realize that until you go through something so challenging. And it was a huge learning experience. And I love to talk about it as difficult as it was, because I feel like I can share this knowledge that I've gained through this difficult time um, with other women, with friends, with my family members, just, you know, making sure that they know what's healthy, what's not, what they need to work on, how to hold their pelvic floor when they're lifting heavy weights. I mean, all that kind of stuff, you know, I'm really not embarrassed to talk about it with anyone. <laughs> and I think it's a good thing. That's true. You can, you can help counsel people. You know, do you view your, do you think of yourself as somebody who would maybe take this experience and shift into a role of a counselor or a mentor to people who have experienced similar things? Yes, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I've really tried to be a resource for people who are going through the same kind of challenge. And then also I try to coach and mentor people as obnoxious as it sounds like in the gym, you know, I'll be in the gym and I see somebody doing something that I think, oh, you just had a baby maybe skip the double unders, you know, in the circuit, like maybe don't do box jumps, try box steps instead, or maybe hold yourself this way, not that way. Um, I, it, I think it's, yeah, it's good to share your knowledge wherever you can. And if people are open to it, great. But, um, but certainly it shouldn't go to waste. I've spent so much time learning and figuring this out that I definitely would want other people to benefit from it. And have you um, spoken with any any individuals who have been considering this type of procedure and have changed their mind? So in some cases, yes. Um, I've been devastated, though, in some cases where I've talked about my experience to somebody considering that procedure and they go forward anyway. Or my friends have, you know, warning, listen to what happened to Jennifer. And they say, ah, who cares? I want to just deal with this. Um, because physical therapy, again, is so effective and so available if you just seek it out and you know about it. But it's not the quick fix. And so often people are attached to that quick fix. <laughs> but it's the perceived quick fix. Right. That's the, the thing. Exactly. I mean, this is like taking two years of your life. You're not even done yet. Tons of pain, misery, money. I mean, just the investment of like every everything. It's, it's short term, but not actually the cure. And I, I just, that's a constant um, mindset shift because I'm a, 
prevention mindset person. So I'm always looking, you know, I was a project manager. I always look 10 steps ahead and figure out like, where, where do I want to be in 10 steps, 10 years, you know, and how, what am I going to do today to get there versus, you know, there's a whole different shift in um, mindset of like, I'll worry about that. I'll cross that bridge when I get there, which I do that for a lot of things in life, but not, I don't mess with my health, you know, when it comes to, I'll, I'll cross that bridge when it comes to, and the you tricky know, thing is, things. is when you go consult a physician, you assume they have the answer, Absolutely. right? Yeah. Um, you think they're the ones who have all the access to the academic literature. They go to conferences. They have all of their years of experience and what they've seen and their, what their peers have seen and told them about. So you trust them. And I mean, honestly, you should because that's their area, right? Like I have my business. My clients trust me because I'm the expert. That's what I thought would be appropriate in that case as well. But I think your health is so important that you do need to trust, but verify maybe. And I think that the quick fix, you know, this is a quick fix. Oh my gosh, Erin, it's not even two years of your life. For women who had the problem that I had with the rejection of this material in their body, the systemic and local pain, all the problems, if I hadn't gotten that out, it could be many, many, many years of suffering and mobility problems and even permanent issues that you can't overcome. So it's, it can be a very dangerous implant to have if your body reacts badly to it. Yeah, I well, you have definitely influenced me, I will never, ever, ever have that or anything else put in there. Yeah. So or any thank sort you. of implants of any sort. You've impacted yeah. yes. at least Kathy and I. Yes, We're not exactly. Having- no, thank you. Mission accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> it's, very so, good. it's so scary what you've um been through and just how common it is like I think do you have any idea what the how many women get this per year get this procedure done gosh I wish I I wish I had looked up the figure before before talking to you guys um there's there's a lot suffice it to say there's a lot and there was a big study in the UK following 92,000 women who had had this procedure and they found that around nine percent were so badly off after it that they came back for surgery to try and get it out or, you know, cut it or somehow fix the situation. So all of the women who had impacts that were negative, but that showed up much later, like Erin was saying before, that couldn't directly be linked to the mesh because maybe there were so many years that had passed or nobody was certain, et cetera, who didn't go back for revision surgery, those, they weren't counted. But 9% is a very, very high risk. Um, when it was communicated to me, it was, you know, a little device we're going to stick in. It's an easy thing. You'll be back at work and running and doing everything in no time. It's not a big deal. Um, that's, you know, trust, but verify, trust, but verify. It's your health. You get one body. Yeah. Yeah. One body. I say that all the time. You got to take care of it. it. Be kind to it. And um, Jennifer, the other thing is your, yours has, is still, I mean, this is an ongoing thing difficult yeah. to remove and it was I mean you were back in the operating room what you said two or three months after can you imagine if you were living with that for 10 or 20 years how infiltrated I think of it as like a foreign invader mm-hmm. right because you call it foreign yeah. body yeah response yeah. um yeah if you have if it's been in there for a while then it must be impossible to remove yeah so what happens is again it's a net that your tissues grow into and then your body Try, basically, you do have foreign body reaction around it, always, anyone, whether you're bothered by it enough to try and get it removed like I was, or you just have kind of a low-grade irritation or you don't really feel it, your body is mounting an attack against a foreign object in your body. 
and it doesn't want a piece of plastic in there. So you've got cells attacking it, you've got the entire system geared up to try and get rid of this, but it can't. (laughs) So you have kind of an ongoing inflammation slash immune response that over time can really cause immune problems that are quite severe in some ladies, in addition to the pain, the mobility issues, the nerve pain, whatever. Wow. I know. Isn't it horrible? It's an awful, it's an awful device. It shouldn't be in the market. And in fact, actually a lot of countries have started making moves to ban the use of pelvic mesh in the public health system, for example. So I know that in Scotland, for example, they can't implant mesh anymore on the NHS. It's not allowed. Um, So that's, that's actually a positive development. In the U S we have so much private health care that unless the FDA makes a more decisive move against this, it remains on the market, but they did actually take steps to say that they felt that, um, the mesh to hold up organs, the prolapse mesh, should be removed from the market. But they didn't go as far as to say the incontinence mesh should be removed, although sadly it's exactly the same material. So I'm hopeful that the FDA and other regulatory authorities will move on us. Sounds like they need to, for sure. Yeah, they need to do that. But really, um, as women, as patients, we need to be investigating these these devices before we allow them to be put in our bodies. We need to know that... Pelvic floor physical therapy is something we can try first. Doctors need to be advising us of that. We need more alkalines teaching women how to preserve and strengthen their pelvic floors in the first place, right? Like there's a whole preventive angle here that really needs to be emphasized. And and for that, I thank you for raising awareness of that. So important. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming to share your story. We so appreciate that. No problem. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to to tell women about this issue in case they weren't aware. Yeah. You've been through so much, Jennifer, and I hope you're close to the end of your discomfort, but I think it's um, your, your learnings, you know, hopefully will help others from, you know, jumping into something like this without, without doing, doing their research, just because something's on the market doesn't mean it's good for you. I tell my kids that with vaping all the time. You're only five and nine, but I'm setting the message early. Just because they sell it doesn't mean you should smoke it. Yes, true. True. Oh, well, we're still working on sugary cereals. So glad you've graduated (laughs) to vaping. (laughs) Baby steps. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for sharing your story. And we look forward to seeing you the next time you come out to California. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to do classes at Las Altas again. Yay. All right. right. Well, take care. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye, ladies. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for joining another episode of Alkaline Unplugged. As a reminder, please leave us a review on Apple iTunes or wherever you're listening. Comments, feedback, and requests or suggestions for future guests can be emailed to info at alkalinestudios.com. We look forward to hearing from you.